she pitched her heart out tonight. I thought Michelle called a great game, but she's she's an all. Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skos Gaspo. Uh, boys, I hope you guys have uh, gotten caught up on your sleep uh, from this past weekend. Um, a lot of late nights, a lot of really late nights, a lot of excitement and probably one of the best three-game series of softball i've ever seen how uh, dare you sir you know i've been sleep deprived for eight years no nah, that's that's, yeah. fair. that's fair that's fair um but yeah i mean what that was what i mean a super regional in tempe cats incredible taking it Unbelievable. Uh, going to the women's world women's college world series uh taking on oklahoma um on thursday we'll talk about that in a little bit but i mean we we cannot not talk about just the unbelievable series against Arizona State. It's it's un, it's just so incredible. I mean, we had Noah Kaufman on last week, and we did this epic preview. And again, shouts to Noah, who, again, just dropped the knowledge bomb, right? But we went so deep. But so much of that pod was recapping the just epic, unbelievable, magical nature of this season and everything that led up to this point. And then they go into the desert and produce 26 innings of the most heart-stopping softball. We, and I mean, it was, it was crazy. I mean, to your point about sleep, these games all ended after midnight, right? Some well after midnight. Two went to X. The Friday, the Friday night game. Right. Two went to extra innings. One went to extreme extra innings. I think Northwestern got down in all of them yep. and and rallied in all of them, even including the, the game that the Cats lost. And but I mean, it was it was I mean, there's a larger point to be made about the fact that the seating was clearly a mess. Right. And these were both clearly two of and now at this point, you could almost argue two of the top five teams in the country and in an absolute knockdown drag out in a super regional that they were so evenly matched and each gave absolutely their best game to the other and again it was like the highs the lows northwestern fans were put through watching inning by inning of these games where it was just white knuckle right up until that pop-up to end the last game and yet the, the quality of softball was so high. The stakes were so high. And at the end of it all, this unbelievable team got, you know, got their got their prize, got their trip to the College World Series. It, I mean, on top of all that, it was exciting as hell. Yeah. Oh my god. This was I mean, this I, was some white of the, knuckle. This was some of the most entertaining college sports I've ever watched. I mean, like it was and not just because I cared so much, but it just it went back and forth like crazy. This was not like you know a tie game going into extra innings and nothing happens. Or, sorry, not tie like zero zero or one one game that goes deep into the game. Nothing's nothing. I mean, these two teams were throwing haymakers, 
and it was spectacular to watch. It was so much fun. Um, the number of clutch hits by both teams to extend games, to put pressure on the other team. Um, the pitch, I mean, the, like, we'll, we'll talk about the Danielle Williams um, weekend. I mean, she pitched virtually every inning of this of, of this uh, three-game series. But, um, the, like, there could not have been a, a, a better advertisement uh, for the sport or for what it can be. It was... It was um, so much fun to behold yeah absolutely 100 yeah um just absolutely amazing and uh, we should talk i mean let's start off with danielle williams because my god after going on friday night in the circle 179 pitches through 11 innings uh you know a, a normal game for those of you that who was, aren't paying attention is seven innings i've right uh, that was that was the start of her weekend yeah, so you know, going uh, going almost 180 pitches, and then coming back the very next day, um, to you know to jump right back in there. What, wait, what time? What time did that first game end? Was it like 2 a.m.? Like it was it, you, for I mean Central, a solid like I mean, uh, what was it? It wasn't that late, but it was it was after midnight certainly. Yeah, and then was, I, I think it was we close were, to one. Yeah, so sorry, right, I was, I was, we were kind of I, I was yeah. speaking Eastern. Yeah, so like one one p.m. or one a.m. Central. Twenty one hours later, goes back into the circle uh, to pitch game two. Yeah, it goes five and a third, hundred and twenty one pitches. Um, Dvorak came in to to finish it out when you know she, you know she she was losing it. Um, well, Devor- right, Dvorak came in, and then Williams came, came back. back. When, once the once the Cats came and, and tied it up, uh, and you know, came back in to try to shut the door, um, ended up giving up the the go ahead runs, but uh, and then to come back the next day again, go the entire way, um, another hundred and thirty pitches, uh, you know, seven innings. And to come away with the W, eight six in game three, just incredible. Not not just to come away with the W. I mean, what stood out so much about Williams' performance, you know, not just the endurance and the amount of pitches she threw, but um, and I think there was some some very like legitimate questioning of the strategy going into the weekend and putting so much on her arm. I mean, especially after game two, thinking, gosh. We have we have we have used up Danielle Williams. We have we have pitched everything that her arm can bear, um, and then to see her come out to start Game Three and and to give up a couple of long balls and find find the team in a five zero hole, it felt like this had been mismanaged. And then the Cats plate those four runs in what the bottom of the third or something like that in, in the top of the fourth. Or so they the gave fourth. up they yes, gave up you. the the four. In the bottom of the third, came right back the next half inning and got those four back. And and Williams from that point on is lights out. It like I don't understand what energy source she tapped into, what like how she found another gear. But they couldn't they couldn't touch her after she had she had pitched the equivalent of like three games in a row. They like. Like that still astounds me, you know. However many days later this is, that she found she found it again and 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 mowed them down. Well, so like that's where like 
I kind of t- I'll take a little issue with the mismanagement thing because in my head, and again, I don't know this. I'm not Coach Strohan. I mean, I'm just. I almost feel like there had to be part of a calculation, even on the most seasoned coach, even knowing a player that well, to be like, the wheels have to fall off eventually, right? Like this Iron Woman on the mound, theoretically, has to reach some limit at some point where, you know, so I almost wonder, I'm like... I I would argue she hit that limit, transcended that limit. Well, that's what I... Oh, totally... Totally. And I, but I bring that up because I'm like, I almost had the feeling going into the third game that I was like, Coach Drohan did everything possible to put Northwestern in a position to win it in two games. And that after the 11 inning odyssey, the deck was so stacked against Northwestern because of all the extra innings, right? And all the extra mileage that Danielle Williams was accruing on the arm. And then you know, late in the game, and Coach Drohan, I think, even brought this up going into game three, that, like, at the end of the day, you have six more inches on Maeve Nelson's triple, and it clears the fence, and the Cats are winning in two, right? And then even after that, Maeve's on third, Nikki's up at bat. If Nikki gets a hit, the Cats win it in two. And it's almost like you could almost, I mean, in my mind, I was thinking, well, you could almost argue that given the limitations and knowing that there was some point where a human being theoretically falls off from like amount of pitches pitched that we shot our shot in two games and didn't get it. So I had really measured expectations and I confess. And again, if there are all of you out there who didn't feel this way, you're better than me. But when the cats fell in that five hole hole, I was kind of like, okay, now our hero, you know, if it's time for our hero to hand her ball to the coach and take her march off of the mound and get her hero's exit, then, you know, it's that time. And we'll all stand in front of our TVs and give her the, the standing ovation that she deserves. And then she just went into God mode. And that's what Scuzz said. And, and then at the moment that that happened, the team was like, no. We're going to get it close enough that she can't leave the game. And then Danielle Williams was like, no, no, I'm just going to go to this next place. And then just <laughs> do something that you didn't think was possible and no one but but the people on this team thought was possible. And that was it. And and her team rallied behind her. But, I mean, my God, like what what can you say? I was laughing. The hit bats thing, I know it's a theoretical, legit, quote unquote, problem. I just choose to believe that it's like, God tried to nerf Danielle Williams at the last second and was like, oh, crap, shoot, shoot. Uh, but uh, she hits people. And then was just like, <laughs> go, went with that. Because because it's like, I mean, she's, it's almost like, because if not for that, she's perfect. And, and again, I'm like, even still, I mean, it's like she's one of the great Northwestern athletes of all time. And uh, it's just, it was unbelievable, unbelievable performance. Um, let's talk about the offense. I mean, Jordan Rudd had an unbelievable series, like all three games, not to mention her defense, which was incredible, but that catch, yeah, that, yeah. that catch in game three, but like to go four or five in game three, uh, with, with just clutch hit after clutch hit after clutch hit, um, you know, three RBI and, so I mean, what 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 else can you say? 
Well, I, it was awesome. I, she was fantastic. Maeve Nelson was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, Rachel, Rachel Lewis didn't have as, as many big hits. Um, in part, Arizona State pitched around her to, to a certain degree, but um, had some, some really clutch uh, moments, including that two-run shot. Uh, got got some things going in a couple different innings, taking walks um, early in the inning. I just like the you know Sh- Shellmeyer getting on in a couple of key spots. Um, Hannah Cody uh, with some really really big hits, um, including at least one game tying homer, if not two. Two, two. That's right, two two game tying homers from Cody. So like I like I we said in our preview with Noah, like this Arizona State offense was going to be one of the best that Northwestern had faced all year. It was going to present a challenge uh, for Williams. And if the cats were going to prevail, they were going to need to hit. Well, they did, especially in that third game. And um, yeah, it was, it was, you know, Rudd who, who led the way, but um, that was the, that was the piece that I think you can argue was missing, like in the 2019 super regional, right? Where it was, it was on Williams arm. Those were tight, close games and the cats scored, you know, a couple of runs here, a couple of runs there. It wasn't enough to, to get them over the hump. They needed the offense to thump in this uh, series, and and they did just that. And it's it's what's put them in, into position in the College World Series. Right. I think to return to something that we kind of talked about at the beginning of the season, we've revisited it multiple times, right, where we were kind of like, okay, Northwestern has had its offensive moments, but, you know, in previous seasons struggled against the top pitching. Where's that going to come from? Well, all you need to know is – that the Big Ten Player of the Year and now a first-team All-American overall did not have her best series. And the team stepped up behind her in this massive way and found offense in other places. And again, like Scuzz said, Rachel Lewis had big hits in this series, right? Um, she had a big, I think it was single, in Game 3. She had that home run. But that was about it for her, right? And... Jordan Rudd, from an offensive perspective in this particular season, right? Because I think you're talking about, right, a three-time first-team All-Big Ten catcher. Um, and But at the same time, Rachel Lewis had such a transcendent season hitting the ball this year that I think you could argue it had the effect a little bit of overshadowing just how good Jordan Rudd was. But there's no doubt the best hitter in this series was Jordan Rudd. I mean, she was just absolutely unbelievable. And especially in, in the moment when the Cats needed it most. But, I mean, the Cats found offense from everywhere. And, and I think it's so funny, right, that it's like Lauren Caldron gets in for the first time in this series, right? You have Ayana Lindsay running. You have Los Gaborski running, right? It's like so many – Dvorak, as you said, comes in and pitches, right? So many facets of this team, so many players on this team found ways to contribute um, from a team that, again, you know, it's like Northwestern's got Daniel Williams and the other team is rotating four pitchers, you know, the entire series. And despite the fact that we have a battle axe out on the on the mound who handles all these innings, all these different players found ways to contribute Um Everyone had their say. Everyone had their big moment, you know, to echo this entire season. And, yeah, and they, they reached the mountaintop, really. Shall we talk about um, the World Series? Well, but before we do, I think yeah, the one... Yeah, no, no, the, for sure. We, we kind of said this as we were keeping platitudes at the, at the front end, but this was, like... The, like a lot of non-Northwestern and Arizona State fans have said this. A lot of softball people have said this. This was one of, if not definitively, the greatest super regional series ever. Right, right. 
I mean, it was, you can look at the final score and be like, there's what, like one run separating the teams over 26 innings across three games. Uh, no, it's even. Even. Is it dead it's, even? Uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's dead even. Six, 16 dead even. and 16. 16 and 16 wow. over 26 innings. And and again, with the subtext that we stated off the top, that these are probably two of the five best teams in the country and that both were underseeded and that they should not have been playing in a super regional. But again, it's like the the trade-off for anyone who's not Northwestern or Arizona State, to, to your point about all these secondary fans being like, you know, if you're a softball fan, this was just epic, is... If they'd both been in the College World Series, they don't, you know, this doesn't happen because only Super Regionals work this way. Only in Super Regionals can you have a theoretical knockdown, drag out three game postseason series between two teams. And, you know, it's just by this fate of frankly bad seeding, these two unbelievably matched, unbelievable teams, uh, you know, produced unbelievable, you know, and to Sam's point off the top, that was just. A physical siege on the body of anyone in the two Eastern time zones <laughs> who was up so late and getting so wired on all of these and, and you know, and betting it and betting it all physically and emotionally. And, you know, because of that, the payoff was so, so big. If you and, were and it's not like they, it, and it's not like they were in Arizona long enough to really reset their body clocks. I mean, they're fe- they were feeling right. it just as much as we were. Except they were all, you know, jacked up because they're playing in this and, game, and we're, and the, we're sitting. And they on were the couch. also in a hundred, a hundred degree heat. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> well, I think I th- just the one other thing I want to throw out is is um, some props to Arizona State, who oh like, for sure r- really yeah. brought their A game. I mean, you know, we talked with again with with Noah about uh, Torres and Acuna, um, two big hitters right at the top of their lineup. They both did a lot of damage. Um, the cats were able to pitch around the, uh, I'm forgetting her name, but the Pac-12 freshman of the year who hit, um, third for Arizona state. She didn't do much damage in the series, but she pretty much walked every at bat. Um, and then their, their pitching staff was, was pretty good too, especially Lindsay Lopez. I thought was, was particularly effective for Arizona state. They brought their a game. The cats brought their a game. Both teams made errors that, you know, the cats, uh, hurt themselves with some base running errors in the first couple games. A lot, uh, lot of left on base, yep, a lot uh, of runs left on base. A lot, of, a lot of left on base. Arizona State had some fielding errors uh, a couple moments. Um, and so, like, it wasn't, you know, a perfect series. But I think, you know, to the point made before, it was it was a spectacular series. Both teams brought their A game. And then, I like, I just want to give a little credit. Arizona State was was pretty classy uh, in the aftermath as well, congratulating the Cats, um, you know, uh, underscoring the fact that this was an incredible series and and wishing Northwest. I think I think basically said they said like to Northwestern like go win it all like um, right which is that was it which was is super great. classy yeah and I think you know there's that awesome video that NUSB Cats um, the the Twitter feed put up of the camera running in from the first baseline you know behind the the Cats when they celebrated and and the one thing about that video is it captures. Um, the agony of defeat because the Arizona State player who who just popped up, you know, you just see her dropping at first base and it's the flip side of it, right? I mean, it, it was, it, it stunk that, that one team had to lose a series that was that good. But I think, Scuzz, you talked about earlier, you know, the significance of, of the game and of the experience as a Northwestern fan watching this. And we tweeted after the game and, and a lot of you replied and thank you for your replies to this, but you know, the idea of 
moments like this are why we do this. And not, you know, you know, coming into this series and coming into this season for Northwestern softball, I don't think any of us are ashamed to say that 90 plus percent of those moments have to do with Northwestern football, right? Or basketball. But at the or basketball. Um, but that at its core, it comes down to selling out emotionally, right? It comes to we have this tight family and this tight community um, that has always been small and has gotten a lot bigger, but it used to be so small. It used to be, you know, the the Jay Sharmans, the Lake the Posts, and, and very few others, right? Just selling out emotionally, completely, for a Northwestern team in a game and being willing to take such a brutal gut punch, right, which we have all taken. Because when you sell out like that with your Northwestern brothers and sisters – and you get the payoff, it's like a hit off something that is like, it's like the best thing, right? It's the best feeling. It can sustain you forever. And all of us who've been Northwestern fans for long enough, it's like you can recite all of those moments, right? So many people recite the Rose Bowl moments and so many people recite, you know, all the other great moments, right? And this series was, was that, right? But unlike a football game, this was... I, I didn't tally it. I mean, more than seven hours, certainly, of just never-ending. Just, just <laughs> seven hours of just a never-ending siege on your emotions that ended with this ludicrous payoff that, again, it's like they're, the, the moments like this are why we do this and because of the way everyone we knew in the Northwestern family felt at the end of this series. And it's just like... I mean, God, God love this friggin' team. Unbelievable. John, credit credit to you. Uh, you you did put yourself through like the mental equivalent of a triathlon this week. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I, I I was just. Oh, and let's let's bring up while we're at this place, right? I really frigging hope ESPN that you've solved this delay issue for anyone <laughs> working with an working with an online feed by the start of the college world series because anyone who was watching online through an online feed or using the ESPN app we timed it it was like a 3 minute delay it got up to like 5 I, at some point yeah it was pretty rough. i've never i've never seen anything like this um, and it went across multiple games and it was just absolutely, I felt, I felt bad because I was doing a lot of tweeting and then Sam had a couple of really good tweets that I was like, these are like, Sam put up a star Wars tweet. That was a sweet tweet. And I'm like, this is a great tweet. It's also spoiling things for me by like three <laughs> minutes because my feed is so slow that anything I see on Twitter is going to tell me before. And then we had people on Twitter being like, I can tell from your tweets, you guys are way behind. And then other people coming into the replies and being like, yeah, I'm way behind too. And I guess it's like, I guess I'd rather be three minutes behind than three minutes ahead. So we weren't like tweet spoiling it for everything. Well, but anyway, well, well, ESPN, the good news, get it, get it, yeah. the good news is that unlike the super regional, the college world series will be televised on ESPN and ABC. So, um, right. Right. There should like, unlike ESPN, you like, there should not be, well, A, you should be able to watch it on TV, but even if you're not, I think it'll be more like the experience that many of us had in the fall, streaming games, et cetera, uh, in football. It, sh it should be pretty clean. 
Right. And, you know, be- before we t- before we talk about the World Series itself, uh, just want a couple, you know, All-American shout outs. Danielle Williams and Rachel Lewis, both named to the first team All-American squad. And then Jordan Rudd was named the first ever catcher recipient of the uh, Rawlings Gold Glove Award. Um, so congratulate, like best defensive catcher in the country, Jordan Rudd. Um, and she's got a bat to go right along with it too. So a uh, couple of first team All-Americans and a gold glove catcher is just incredible. Yeah, it's what, a, I mean, what a team, this team. And before we, you know, as we transition into the Women's College World Series, I kind of want to draw the parallel to, and we've mentioned it multiple times, but the Rose Bowl season, right? And I know a lot of you are going to quibble with this, but in a general way, right? Um, it's like not many of us have spent a, a lot of time bemoaning the fact that Northwestern lost that Rose Bowl, right? It just is not, it just was never the narrative, uh, right? I know. I mean, I know. It's, yeah, well, I was going to say. People, like, <laughs> I mean, no, I know some people like there's the feeling that like we could have won it and it was close late, but it's not like the epitaph or the ultimate takeaway from the Rose Bowl season in anyone's mind was, well, if we only would have won the Rose Bowl, it's just that's not the way it played out, right? It was the Rose Bowl itself was this unbelievable ending to this unbelievable season. And yes, we wish that we could have won it, but it was like the Rose Bowl season. It's like how everyone refers to it to this day, right? And the the war, you know, Noah Kaufman made the point last in our last pod right where he was like the women's college world series is like making a um you know one of the major bowls it's like making yeah, one new year new year's new year's six, new year's six. A, a new year's six a new year's six bowl right and particularly if you're a team that hasn't made a new year's six bowl in a while and just how big of a deal that is and of course I'm gonna, you're trying to yeah. i'm gonna go farther than that and and yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna do so by quoting the article that sydney soup got up like early in the morning this morning in Oklahoma to write, um, which was about how much this experience means to her. And she said, this is literally what I dreamed about when I was an eighth grader. Um, right. Right. Writing a note to the Drohans that I wanted to commit to Northwestern because it felt like home and it's where I wanted to go play uh, and, and where I saw myself making the college world series. And it's, it is literally a dream come true for her and so many of her teammates. And so, like, I, I think it's bigger you're, than New Year's Six. You're right. Totally. Because it's not like kids grow up dreaming of playing in the Orange Bowl yeah, or something yeah. like Nobody's that. Yeah, nobody's like right? I, Whereas, like, girls dream of playing in the College World Series. I, I think she even, she even totally. said, like, cited going to Oklahoma City in, in, this, in this letter that she referenced um, that she wrote back in eighth grade. It's just – it's – it is so special for the women on these team on this team. It's so special for their families, uh, you know, for the for the Johans to get back there. I think I think in the after, I can't remember if it was before. I think it was after the Gatorade bath. Um, they asked uh, Kate Johan about getting back to to, to OKC because it's been, you know, uh, what fifteen years since since that 08 team, and you can just hear the emotion in her voice of how much this means to her, how excited she is. Um, so this is this is a it's a big effing deal. Oh. Oh, and that's the and that's the thing, right? It's like, yes, you want to win it. You want to win a national title. Of course you do. But not unlike a Final Four and not unlike the Top Bowls and not unlike there's going to be a banner that says College World Series that's going up. 
and eight teams are all too happy to do that and all too happy to reach this point and only one can win and you're trying the darndest to win but again it's like you know balancing right what comes ahead with the fact that this i think all of northwestern nation treats this as a crowning achievement for for this season right that there's going to be you know right there's the rose bowl season and there's the 2022 women's college world series season and it's just the one of the great seasons northwestern's ever had so yeah and now and now, and now we run into the Mack truck. Well, b- <laughs> but yeah. before before we get there, I uh, do want to mention something real quick. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Simpson of the Simpson Law Group. After over a decade of prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, he opened his own firm specializing in wrongful death and personal injury cases. Among the cases he handles are car accidents, truck accidents, motorcycle accidents, boat accidents, and all other forms of transportation. He also prosecutes prosecutes construction accidents, nursing home abuse, medical negligence, birth injuries, slip and falls, products liability, and whistleblower retaliatory discharge cases. His results speak for themselves. Millions recovered for his clients, no fee unless he wins. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy is a cornerstone of the Simpson Law Group representation. Call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation, and go Cats! Uh, So with that, um, let's talk about the World Series. Uh, Northwestern has the fortune, I guess, uh, to take on the defending champion, Oklahoma Sooners, the number one seed, a team that was, to call this team a juggernaut is like an insult to juggernauts. I mean, this team is so flipping good. Noah Kaufman phrased it perfectly, that the obvious comp is Alabama football, and that's an insult to Oklahoma softball. They've they've won four of the last six national championships. Yeah, there. And it's like, I mean, we're going to go into it. I almost feel like on the heels of like we this absolute knockdown, drag out, emotional siege, we are now playing a team that is so flipping good that keeping it close is a win. Winning, of course, is like this next level thing, which is unbelievable. But there is no pressure in this game. None. This Oklahoma team is in this echelon of the great teams in any sport ever. I mean, we were going through it. Yeah, let, let me just the let me team, just run, let me just run off yeah, a few, go ahead, a few yeah, stats here. Run off. Yeah, hit some stats. All right. So, fifty-six games they played this season. They run ruled their opponents in thirty-eight of those fifty-six. Fifty-four and two on the on the season. They led the country in batting average, run scored, and ERA. Uh, they have the home run queen in Jocelyn Allo. Uh, she's uh, homered in four of their five NCAA tournament uh, games so far. Um, that's just ridiculous. And then you go in and you and you think about their team ERA this season. Point zero point eight is their team ERA this season. Like, oh my god. Yeah, it's 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 nuts. Um, they are the prohibitive favorite. Um, they lost two games this year, one to Texas. So it was the third game of a three game series. Um, they won the other the first two games, like three nothing and nine to one. Then dropped the uh, dropped the final game against Texas, and then they lost in the Big Twelve tournament to Oklahoma State. Um, now that being said, I think like everyone is looking at this matchup as a really good matchup because if anyone can tame this Oklahoma lineup for one game, it's Danielle Williams. Um, 
it's a tall task. It's a tall order. It's a lot to ask. It's not what we should go in expecting. But if, if you know, things could align and that could happen, I think that the, the real challenge with Oklahoma is that, um, for those who don't know, the College World Series is a double elimination tournament. You have to beat them twice. So if Northwestern beats them um, in this first game, uh, Oklahoma would go to the losers bracket. Uh, last this is this this happened last year. They they lost to uh, James Madison University in in the opening game. Went to the losers bracket, made their way back uh, into the final and won it. Um, so, but it like it ain't impossible. Um, the Cats are going to need some extremely timely hitting against uh, the best pitching staff in the country. Um, now they they faced an Arizona State pitching staff that rolled out three very different styles of pitchers um throughout this past weekend and they did they did well uh oklahoma has three really good pitchers with different styles so like i mean it's you know it goes up a level right you beat you beat one boss and the next one is harder so um right that's where we're at but like tune in tune in tomorrow like there like this is not a zero chance situation and um you know, obviously there's tough teams that come up after it, but this is like Northwestern is in the mix here. And even if, even if they lose to Oklahoma, there is plenty of potential for them to uh, roll through the loser's bracket, which I believe is what they did in 2008, if I'm remembering correctly. I, I think that's right, yes. And and it's like, it's, I mean, I almost look at it right, is what it really is, is a absolute showcase for Northwestern softball. Literally every softball fan in the country is going to be watching this first game. It's Oklahoma versus one of the greatest, if not the greatest, Northwestern softball team ever. And again, we had a team play in the national championship game, so I don't want to put the cart before the horse, right? But one of the greatest Northwestern softball teams ever, right, in the conversation against one of the greatest, you know, sports teams ever in the nation in this Oklahoma softball team, right? And all softball fans in the country are going to be watching this. So the the visibility is off the charts. And then if Northwestern wins unbelievable and on they go right but win or lose right they would be they'd be facing the next is going to be that you know either ucla or texas one or the other right so you have the texas one of the two teams to beat oklahoma and ucla who northwestern had one of the greatest games of certainly the first half of the season and really the entire season against that ucla team ending with mave nelson's walk-off home run right so this is what's on tap for this weekend. I mean, it's just an unbelievable, unbelievable stretch, right? And and at 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 worst, Northwestern's going to play two games in, in this environment against this group of teams under all the bright lights with the greatest showcase for these unbelievable Northwestern athletes. And anything better than that is just gravy and and totally within the realm of possibility. It's possibility that Northwestern, like I think as Sam said, fifty four teams have done this season loses to Oklahoma and then beats either UCLA or Texas and then plays the third game. You know what I mean? And it's, it's all going to be super exciting. I mean, this, this Oklahoma team, again, it's like they, they have one of their pitchers is the current rating freshman of the year. One of their other pitchers has an ERA of 0.4. Uh, they have Jocelyn Allo has over a hundred career home runs. She's in the conversation for greatest softball player ever. Um, greatest college softball player ever. She's a freshman player of the year. They have another freshman player of the year in T.R. Jennings. Um, it's, it's you know, they are as close to a perfect team as there can be. And that takes all the pressure off, right? It's just like you, you go out there and you see how, how you face against 
you know, a historical great. And then beyond that, there's more exciting softball. So, I mean, it's it's all just it's a celebration of the sport that Northwestern gets to participate. In. All right. So I, I, I got to you know, talk a little bit about some seedings. Right. You know, we we yes. bemoaned the fact that uh, the the bracket did not recede into the super regionals. Um, did not take into account upsets from the re- from the first round of regionals, uh, and you had a situation where you had Oregon State and Stanford, two unseeded teams who, to their credit, did go on the road and win the regionals. But then they get to they get to come home two unseeded, or I guess it was Stanford hosted, but you know two unseeded teams in a super regional, and now you're you're going into a situation where uh, you know Northwestern comes off. A knockdown drag out with Arizona State. They're the they're the fourth highest seeded team remaining in the tournament. So you got Oklahoma's the number one seed. Uh, UCLA's the five seed. Oklahoma State's the seven seed. We're the ninth seed. That's the top four. You got Florida at fourteen, and then three unseeded teams in Texas, Oregon State, and Arizona. Um, you know, Arizona, and Oregon State, both teams that you know are very fortunate to be there. But, like, you reseed going into the World Series. Now, all of a sudden, you've got Oklahoma versus one of these unseeded teams, probably Arizona. You've got UCLA taking on either Texas or Oregon State. Oklahoma State taking on the other one. And we should be taking on Florida. Um, I, yeah. I, I mean, honestly, and Scuzz has mentioned this multiple times. But, honestly, I don't think so much of this comes up at all if the committee doesn't biff the seeding this year i mean it's just you can just look at a decade of precedent and see how off the seating was this year um this 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 problem never happens (laughs) right yeah right exactly and it's like it happened multiple times and and it's so funny i mean we you know i think we talked about this in a twitter discussion we were having with someone but um in hindsight you can look at alabama's resume and the way it was the way it was shaped in the in the media narrative as Alabama has this awesome resume with a bunch of head scratching losses, whereas the book on Northwestern was Northwestern cost itself a top eight seed late in the season, and it's all the way you, it's all in the way you want to spin it effectively because you can look at Alabama's resume and be like yeah. This team had a habit of losing to teams it had no business losing to. And then that's exactly what happened in the regional. And again, it's like this was a historic great year for, I mean, I don't know, historic, but an excellent year based on postseason, right, for the Pac-12. And the Pac-12 champion, who was phenomenal, was stuck with an eight seed. And ended up playing a knockdown drag out with a nine seed when neither of those teams, right, should have been playing the other and both should have been seated higher. And it's so right. I mean, it's it's all the fact that people are having all these discussions is, be, you know, so much of it is because the seating was just kind of a mess this year. But, yeah, the reseeding, if they reseeded at each level, would certainly be helping the cats here. There's no doubt about that. So yeah, um, Thursday, two thirty central on ESPN. Uh, you know, one thirty, one thirty, one thirty central. Oh, excuse me, one thirty central. Um, yes, uh, one thirty central uh, on ESPN. Um, let let let's see what happens. I mean, uh, you know, 
no no one is expecting Northwestern to win this game. And, you know, like like you said, like you've been saying, John, the pressure's off. Um, so let, let's turn our attention to a lacrosse. Um, you know, we talked last week, you know, they were heading out to uh, Baltimore for the final four, uh, taking on a North Carolina team that was undefeated. Um, and uh, to just, uh, just, I mean, it was one of the most gutting performances, um, or gutting breakdowns that I've, I've seen in a really, really long time. Cats just got off to a white hot start and then, you know, had to deal with a rain delay, a lightning delay, uh, shut things down for 45 minutes to an hour or so. Um, and even when they came back, the cats were still just playing out of their minds. And then in the fourth quarter, the wheels came off and there was, it was nothing anyone could do about it. Yeah. They just I, like, I mean, a couple of things seem to have seemed to have like, like a, you know, early on, I think they, I, I think the announcers mentioned this, that North Carolina hit like three posts in the first half or the first quarter, even, um, the, I mean, yeah, Northwestern was playing out of their minds. Um, I, I tweeted a gif of, uh, um, uh, Captain Marvel, uh, slugging, slugging Thanos. Cause that's what it kind of felt like at the time. Like, oh my God, like get it while we can. They're, they're up, you know, what they're up six or seven at half. Um, the, uh, the ultimately they got it to like an eight point or seven point lead, um, before things, before the wheels started to come off. But like, it was interesting they did such an incredible job clearing the ball early. So they would get a turnover or a missed shot from North Carolina or whatever in their own zone. And they were so practiced and cautious and, and prepared for North Carolina's um, I'm going to call it a four check because I'm a hockey guy. Um, the pressure that North Carolina's forwards were putting on them trying to clear their own zone and they would pass back to do set uh, coming out of goal. They just, they clearly prepared extremely well. And then in the fourth quarter, um, there were at least three, probably more uh, situations where I where where Northwestern had an unforced error, um, or where they you know they just they were kind of tunnel vision charging toward North Carolina's end with the ball uh, to set up in the offensive zone, got you know back checked or um, just you know, happened to, 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 to lose the ball in a scrum and North Carolina pounced and they had all the momentum and all the energy. And if, if even just, I think you would probably have needed two, but if like two of those possessions, um, they, they could have been just a little more careful, a little more heady with the ball. I think they just, I think they just, you know, kind of fell prey to the, to the, to the pressure of the moment. And, um, it is what it is at the same time. Like, my God, what a run! Um, what a season for this team, you know, to, to start the year without Izzy Skane, and to be talked about as a team with a lot of firepower and the potential to do great things, but with so many questions, uh, Sans Sans uh, Skane out there, and to end up in the Final Four in in a one goal loss to the undefeated um, number one team in the country at this stage, like you just have to to, to take your hat off and applaud. Um, yeah, a, a, team. a team that then came back the, on Sunday and beat Boston College by one as well. So, you know, we lost to the eventual right. champions. Right. And and 
the other, I think the other part of it too, right, is, right, it's the eventual champion. If you just looked at the score only, right, you'd be like, oh, great season for the Cats. They found it late. They had this run, valiant loss to the number one team, right? It's just the way that it went down. And because you talked about the back checking and everything that happened, right? I mean, a big part of this is the 20-0, and number one ranked, best defensive team in the country, absolutely finding it in the fourth quarter. A, a, team, right. a team, by the way, that is absolutely stacked with um, former, like, Torton Ward nominees uh, that transferred in through the portal from other teams. Right. I think they had, like, three. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it's like they – but that doesn't – I think that doesn't take away, I think, the, the bottom line from all of us, which is just for these ladies, you know – for, for these girls that we've watched, this lax team, that, you know, we love these players. And I know we've heaped so many platitudes on the softball team, but so many, too, you know, for Lauren Gilbert, Jill Girardi, Koykendall, you know, everybody, right? And like you said, like overcoming the loss of Skein and doing everything that they did and playing all their best lacrosse at the best time. And then, you know, this group having to have this happen. And, I you know, I watched a little of the post game. Um, you, you know, and it was Kelly Amonti Hiller at you know at an empty podium. Um, it was it was her answering, and there were no players or captains next to her answering questions up there. And that tells you all you need to know about the state that this team was in after the game. And it's so brutal to to think about that, to think about all these great players and the careers that they've had. And and again, it's like. Right, like you said, to what they achieved, to the place they reached, to the opponent they lost to, all of this is, you know, is stuff that they should be able to carry forever, and not the fact that it, that it ended the way that it did, you know. And and I hope that that you know, with time, that they're able to get there. But I'm sure it's it's still, it's not going to go away for a while. Yeah. So um, yeah, we've got softball this weekend, and that kind of will close the book on spring sports. Um, you know, the calendar turns to June and we start to look ahead to our summer football previews. Um, so you know, kind of keep that in the back of your guys' minds as we... By by June or so, we'll probably be number one in the country in recruiting, I think. Like, it should be... I'm just, follow, I'm just following trends. Yeah, I we, only we, assume we'll be number one by that point. We've got another round of official visits coming this weekend. We'll see what happens. Yeah, and and it's I mean to add to the the lunacy of I mean I mean we I didn't want to put the the cart before the horse before giving the lacrosse team their due, but Friday was a lunatic day of ups and downs that began with the lacrosse and the way that first half went and then the way that fourth quarter went and you know just the the, the yin and the yang of that. And then that 11-inning softball game. and But in the middle of the first half of the lacrosse game, Mason Robinson decided to become, you know, the most, you know, arguably the most decorated member of this unbelievable Northwestern recruiting class. Um, and then they followed it that, up on Saturday. And then the next day, we got a commit from Damon Walters, the best defensive player in the state of Illinois uh, in this class. A safety and yeah i mean what a run for this class and these again were this this 513 you know um 
Tim Chapman, you need to write your next book. It needs it needs to be about this five thirteen visit, the magic of the five thirteen <laughs> visit. Um, the, te- but, the the aforementioned team meeting. <laughs> yeah, right. The the team meeting exactly. And uh, um, I think someone was it Gant tweeted out a picture of the uh, of the the recruit the photo the group photo from the visit and was like we should have had uniforms on because i think at this point like nine of the 14 or something like that it's something like that have have committed but um in terms of these two guys i mean i you know the 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 headliner obviously is is robinson and watching the film on robinson i mean i you know we did a big tweet storm about it just like to kind of sum it all up but he's 6'3 215 which is sounds tall and skinny that sounds like a wide receiver right and I think you look at him and you look at Kilbane you look at Kilbane's tape and you know we made the Afadi Adenabo comparison right because you're like Kilbane is tall a couple you know a year or two ago he was 6'4 215 now he's 6'4 240 who knows how big he's gonna get right he's still growing into this body he's played a ton of linebacker off ball he's learning to play on the line as a down lineman he's gonna do that sky's the limit for his potential so when I pulled up the Robinson film I was expecting the same thing and being like well this is probably gonna be another like freak of nature who looks like a wide receiver but plays like a defensive end no one can block and that's just not what robinson is robinson is a like out of a lab defensive end he's an all caps defensive end looks like he was born to play the position he's looks like he's played it forever that's what he plays on every down he plays right end and the other team is like oh crap there's the guy we've been thinking about for weeks. And they try to chip him, they try to double him, and none of it does nothing. This guy is just a predator. He's a right-end predator with all the skill and all the pursuit and everything you want to see at an end and all the technique. And he's also an unbelievable athlete, and he's just relentless. And it's like, that's why he had, what, like Georgia, uh, Oklahoma, I think, um, like Michigan, Penn State, Penn State, Penn State. It's because he's flipping awesome at this position, and yeah. So again, it's like yeah, this is all, and and this was part of this weekend run that had Northwestern elevated to rivals number five recruiting ranking in the country. So yeah, it's and, all kind of a delirious recruiting. I, I, I just want I just want to pause on that for a second. Number five in the country. Put that away. It, no, 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 no. It means literally nothing. Well, of, well, of course, so it means literally nothing. nothing. Of course, it's not going to end up like that. But like, at no point have we ever had a recruiting class this high ever, regardless okay, of. I mean, that, it's, that's, it's, it's that's, not going to. It's not going to finish fair. up at that's five. Fair. It's not going to finish up at five. We know that. Well, so here's the thing, and here's the point that I made on Twitter about this, because Scuzz is right, right? The rivals rankings reward a combination of quality of recruits and size of class so if you're a team that gets commitments from a ton of guys way before everyone else does you're going to be ranked really high until everyone else can catch up the asterisk there at least in my mind is the job of the northwestern coaches is different and you could argue harder than a ton of the other coaches in the country because Northwestern offers less scholarships year to year, right? 
less scholars like l- makes less recruiting offers than just about any school other than Stanford year in and year out. And that means doing a ton of homework to identify who you even can make offers to, right? And then you have to sell that tiny group on actually committing, right? So for Northwestern to assemble a class like this this quickly, and yeah, to Scuzz's point, the rest of the nation's going to catch up, right? Or at least well, the powerhouses it's, are. It's not just that. It's what you just said is that, like, right. we, are, we are threading a different needle at Northwestern. Right, exactly. Like the, the rivals recruiting rankings is irrelevant to the quality of Northwestern's class, especially because most teams sign 25-plus players a year and we'll end up with 15 or 16. So like by default we're going to we're going to collapse down down the rankings. I mean, you look at like the like I'll be the first to say I think this is one of the best recruiting jobs that Fitz and his staff have ever done, especially on defense, right? Um but it's like on rivals it's still like I think it's two four stars and and 12 three stars. So like like I just like I like I I I cannot buck more against like the 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 recruiting oh, yeah, rating yeah, yeah. is just it's completely meaningless to begin with and it's bad analysis and bad data which pisses me off like personally um but then on top of it it's just irrelevant for northwestern on its face totally i'm just amazed that they were able to identify and to identify this many excellent football players that were capable of attending northwestern this quickly and convince them to commit to Northwestern this quickly. I'm just, it's like an unbelievable, it's just, it's like to your point, they're, not only did they thread a needle, they threaded a needle that no one else is even capable of, of threading, right? I mean, it's just like, it's a one of one situation and it's an unbelievable performance. So yeah, so kudos. In that it is our highest ranking ever and, and that belies some of what, that that threading of a needle that nobody else has ever had to thread is like fair right i mean and like we we know it's not going to last and, and it does it doesn't matter because the way i look at it right now is what is the quality of the class that we're bringing in just compared to us right i mean like this is yeah that's like, that's like, a that's a great point you know and like one one thing that someone brought up right relative to the rivals ratings is Five five point eight on rivals ratings is the tipping point between a three star and a four star recruit, and we have six recruits in this class who are either five point seven or five point eight. So it's a lot of people. A lot of people wanted, and <laughs> that's uh, and like, will everyone pan out? No, they won't. Will we get diamonds in the rough, like two stars who end up being amazing? Sure. Like we we know recruiting is an, an exact science, but like the the fact that you know we're sitting at number five right now means more people are talking about Northwestern. You know, it, yeah, it, it is it's early in the, it's very early in the commitment cycle. You know, nothing gets official until December. You know, we're here in June. So like, a, there's a lot of time left to happen. There's a lot of more commitments that are going to come. We might even lose a couple of these guys. We don't know. Um, but the fact that people are like, people outside of the sphere of Northwestern are talking about Northwestern's recruiting that mm-hmm. especially coming after last season just the, the disappointment of last season to come back and have this this quality of recruiting class at this point in the recruiting cycle that is that's what that number 5 represents to me right now yep 
we should mention too just a little bit on the back of this that we've had not a ton of interaction but some interaction with some of the kids who have made commitments in this class and they are their mindset like they're so amped up about being northwestern wildcats and they get it and they understand what it means and they understand their place and they are just like they they have found their team and they're so excited to be northwestern football players and it's, it's everything that you want uh so you got anything else to mention before we get out of here tonight guys I did have one other thing to mention, uh, mainly because I kind of want people to start stealing themselves for it now. Um, Pete Nance, as a lot of people suspected that he would, uh, reports are pulled his name out of the NBA draft. And I think there was a lot of expectation for that. You were looking at a lot of mock drafts that had him not in the second round. And I think they were kind of circling that and that, you know, you were kind of waiting for that to happen. And then June 1st was the deadline by which it had to happen. And reports came out that he was going to be pulling his name out. The second shoe that is going to drop here is, I mean, I'm not saying we a hundred percent know this to be sure. Sure. We do. You, you can almost certainly assume that he is going to transfer. And there are a couple of possibilities and, you know, they kind of produce, you know, laugh. So you don't cry kind of situations one is that he could go to illinois where his family has some connections uh within the program um and of course that would sting if i have to explain why that would sting like i'm you know i'm just wasting my breath but it's on the table um and almost to me lost in in that one is one of the other top possibilities which is that he transfers to north carolina and i can almost see that happening in my mind at this point and just move forward to where we're watching multiple North Carolina Duke games prominently featuring one player on each team who factored in this Northwestern basketball team that turned in the season that we've seen last season. And I, you know, if that doesn't break your brain, I don't know what does, but you know, buckle up because that may be exactly where we headed. And it might not even be Illinois. It might not be North Carolina, but it's becoming really clear really quickly that I think I heard South South Florida mentioned like Pete Nance is, is, you know, a fringe NBA caliber three and D guy and their, you know, suitors will be lining up for him now. So we'll see where it goes, but just, uh, just get ready now. I just threw up in my mouth a little. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and on that note, we're going to go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pirates, and email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John LeComer and Eric Scouse, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.